Welcome to a Shot in the Arm podcast. I'm your host, Ben Plumley. We are brought to you in partnership with the Bay Area Global Health Alliance, a network of academic institutions, biotech and tech, other companies, NGOs and community organizations, all based in the San Francisco Bay Area and all committed to improving the health of people around the world. You can find out more about the Alliance at www.bayareaglobalhealth.org. Well, in this episode, we're looking at how technology can bring us closer to the results of our medical tests so that we can make better decisions about our health. It's not a theoretical problem. So many people right across the world are waiting days, if not weeks, for the results of COVID tests if they get them at all. A situation combined with the slow rollout of COVID vaccines that threatens the very real progress we're beginning to see in the fight against COVID-19. Well, our guest today is Ramin Bastani. He is the CEO of Healthvana, a Los Angeles-based technology company that specializes in using tech to get results to patients rapidly and efficiently. Ramin, welcome to a Shot in the Arm podcast. Thank you for having me. Ah, it's a real pleasure. So, so tell us a bit about Healthvana. What does the company do? Healthvana is a patient platform that helps healthcare providers manage and communicate with their populations. And so uh, for COVID-19 specifically, we started our work when the pandemic began in about April in the United States. And since then, we've delivered about 10 million test results and vaccine rec vaccination records to patients across the United States by working with large municipality partners like Los Angeles, Miami-Dade, school districts like New York, states, um, large employers, laboratories. And at its core, we're helping empower patients with information at their fingertips that's actionable, whether that's test results, vaccination records, and beyond. So you started Healthvana with um, facilitating the communication of rapid lab results between people taking PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV, and their healthcare workers. Um, and I wonder, what, what was the challenge you were seeking to overcome there? I think the overall challenge, I and mean, maybe some historical background's helpful here. I took care of my, not, uh, my father for a number of years before he passed away from lung cancer. And the thing that drove me nuts, and it still drives me nuts today, is in healthcare in the United States, you just don't get access to information in a way you understand. That certainly starts with test results, but it can be for certain parts or all parts of healthcare. And so... Um, not being able to get his cancer results to see whether or not the cancer had come back just sucks. It's not easy to deal with. And if we did get back the information, it'd be in maybe five or six different pages by fax. We have to figure out what those actually meant. So what Healthvana is really good at doing is simplifying the information and let you know the only question you as a patient really care about, which is, am I going to be okay? Right? That's the only thing that matters. And if right. we answer that question better than almost anyone that we've seen, and we do it in a very simple way. So what we started with was sexually transmitted infections and HIV. So at STD and HIV clinics, if you go in there, people are distressed waiting for their results and they have to come back in for their results. That makes no sense to do that with an infection like chlamydia, gonorrhea, or syphilis. So we're able to notify patients in a way that says, you've tested positive for chlamydia. Don't worry, this is curable. Here's what to do next. And we have evidence showing that that actually helps improve patient outcomes. And and then how does it fit into um, HIV prevention, which is, you, you know, not so much a question of um, uh, a medical condition per se, but more of, of how you know that your uh, uh, antiretrovirals for prevention are working? 
Yeah, so we, um, we're helping with both patients that are HIV positive to make sure they're reminded to go back into their next appointment and then they can get their labs in a way they can understand. So you're looking at particular parts of your lab that show that you're undetectable. That's somewhat of the reward there. You're undetectable, that means you're taking medication correctly, and it means you can have sex without transmitting the infection to anyone. So if you're undetectable, it's not transmittable. U equals U is a common phrase used in um, that category. So we want to make sure to empower people with that information. We thought if we do so, it will incentivize them because they're going to be able to see the information on their phone at their fingertips. And then they can also, if they choose, screenshot and share it in online dating. So the idea was to make your health information accessible, but then also something that's usable. I mean, no one cares about your cholesterol results, but they may care about if you've been tested for HIV recently or if you're HIV positive, that you're undetectable. So that's kind of what we use. There has to always kind of be a hook to help make the information actionable. And what we found was it helped. I mean, I love that you mentioned U equals U, which I think is just ripe uh, for uh, use by technology to, to um, you know, uh, reinvigorate and reinforce uh, the rights of people with HIV if they're, if they're taking treatment and they're able to do so. Um, and I just love the idea that, um, I mean, shocking as it is perhaps, to an old fogey like me, but the idea that you know you would screen save your uh, your viral load test and you know and share that, I think that's brilliant. So so last year, um, Healthvana expanded into providing uh, services for COVID nineteen. What did that include? What are you offering there? So uh, one of the main problems. Maybe I should start off with a problem. That's generally how I've always thought about it as an entrepreneur. Is if there's a problem we can solve, then let's see if I can help more people. So with COVID in about mid-April, we heard from, um, I think it was the city of Los Angeles, and they said, hey, we've heard about how HealthVon is good at delivering anxiety-provoking test results in a HIPAA-compliant way, and that it can reduce phone calls. So we've actually been published in things like the American Journal of Public Health showing better outcomes. And we were also able to reduce costs. So that's great. So they said, we're making 50 hours of phone calls a day using paramedics and firefighters and other essential first responders. Again, this is back in April. And they said, can you help? And of course. Um, we jumped in and within about a week, they were making almost no phone calls and patients were able to access their information in a non um, Windows 95 way, right? Going through not a typical portal, but in a way that looks and feels more like Instagram. Uh, and all of a sudden patients are accessing their information. They don't have to call. They're not freaking out. And they can screenshot and share that information with people that maybe they've been around to do their own version of contact tracing initially. Uh, and it just empowered people with information at their fingertips. So we've now done that for uh, about 10 million people across the United States, serving as that wow. quote unquote last mile. Um, because the contact tracing, let's be honest about it, has not been a great success in the United States. Um, if you're not careful, it can be very person intensive. And so the idea of just sort of checking in um, with people using their smartphones um, is something that makes a, a lot of sense. How did you find the um, health authorities uh, respond to this? Did they embrace it or did you uh, did you sense a, a, a perhaps a reticence, a hesitancy uh, to use the technology? Uh, one word is extraordinary. The people that we're working with in public health um, are absolutely uh, extraordinary. Um, well-intentioned, hardworking, dedicated, and eager to get off of the Windows 95 systems they've had to be using for a long time. It takes a pandemic to make sure you can use new things and you can do a contract that would normally take 18 months 
in 10 days because there's such a high need. So it opened up opportunities for companies like ours who have a history of delivering the most sensitive data in the United States by way of HIPAA, which are HIV results and information, to now doing this for something that's less sensitive but incredibly timely. So when we started working with one municipality, multiple other municipalities started to jump in and then labs started to say, hey, we have a portal, but no one wants to log into a portal. They can't figure out their passwords. And then you also have health literacy issues and you have just language issues. How many, you know, is it just in English? Do you have it in multiple languages? And so we were able to iterate quickly and that's only because we have an extraordinary group of people, a team that genuinely cares about helping people. Um, and that's our core as a business. And so we were able to figure out solutions. Now you mentioned HIPAA. Uh, and the need for HIPAA compliance, which is a particularly American thing about securing the confidentiality of, of uh, medical information for patients. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and, and what it means? I would love to. My wife would wish I never spoke about it again. Uh, I read a lot about <laughs> HIPAA. Um, so some of the uh, initial hypothesis was if we could help address these issues within the most sensitive data in the United States through HIPAA, meaning the HIV records, we could do this for anything else. So we had to have a very deep understanding on a 50 state basis. Um, and so we learned a lot over the years. And I've advocated um, to utilize HIPAA uh, to empower patients to get information at their fingertips. It's too difficult to get access to your own health information, which is ridiculous mm. in this country. And I've spoken at the White House about this a few years back, the National Library of Medicine, universities like Stanford. So um, HIPAA at its core, um, the P, there's only one P in it, and it stands for not privacy, but portability. The whole idea of HIPAA is that you have a right to a copy of your records, which is also nonsense. We should own the records as patients. Yeah. We can give a copy to the doctor or whoever else, but that's how it is. And so we know how to utilize HIPAA to empower patients, make sure everything is secure um, in a way that helps them understand what's happening with their health. I, I totally agree with that. And uh, you may recall that we had Dr. Uh, Rupert Whitaker from the Tuke Institute on the show a few weeks ago, who made the uh, very impassioned point that medical records do not belong to the health facility that looks after them. They belong to the patient. Um, and, and I think that's a really important uh, transformation in the way we, we think about, uh, about health. Um, your COVID work has expanded, though, beyond just providing the results of COVID tests. You're, you're now engaged in um, helping the rollout of COVID vaccines and the results of that. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, of course. And I think the COVID, the good umbrella kind of way to think about us and our work in COVID is we're the first and largest uh, COVID mobile health record. So under that, you have the ability to get your test results, whether they're rapid or they go to the lab. You can do digital contact tracing where you're anonymously notifying others as soon as you get a positive result, which is working, by the way, brilliantly. And then you also now have the next step, which is the digital vaccination record. So our first partner that we've announced is Los Angeles County. And what we're doing with them is um, they're having a bunch of different data feeds come into the county. We then get a stream of that data to then notify patients um, of their actual record. So you don't just have this three by five card. You're going to have a text or an email that says, hey, here's your digital vaccination information and click on this link uh, to access it. And this is all mobile web, by the way. There's nothing mm -hmm. to download. No additional hurdles, no additional friction to make it more difficult for people. So if you were to uh, click on that link, you would enter your first name, last name and your date of birth. And then you'd be able to access it on your mobile web where you could screenshot it. And then it would kick off a number of reminders in between that first dose and the second dose, depending on which manufacturer it is, it would come out. And then you can also have the option to put it into your Apple wallet. 
and soon to be in your Google wallet. So the idea is that you can have this information in a way that it won't crumple up. Uh, and if you have a problem with the information, like let's say they misspell your first name or your last name, or your date of birth is flipped around because of the internationalization on your phone, we'll correct that for you. Um, and then people can use that information if they wanna get back to school, if they wanna get back to work, and maybe an airline. It just depends on how they want to um, end up sharing that information. But at its core, we view it as the patient's personal health record. Now, it's, it's fascinating that you use you use those words and not passport, not vaccine passport. And I, I would love to get your thoughts from in on just how ready you think society is for this kind of digital health certificate. And I, I can see at first glance the value. Um, I was trying to find my yellow fever uh, vaccine certificate to sort of flag up a little yellow booklet that I've had for, gosh, 10 years or so. And it makes great sense for international travel. But um, if you think about needing proof of vaccination to go to restaurants, bars or, or concerts, um, it, it feels to me there's a bit of an anxiety because the, the problem is not, it's not about having a record of the vaccination, but more that the vaccination strategy itself is not rolling out as rapidly and comprehensively as it should. And, and as you said earlier on, um, you know, a lot of these health interventions miss people disproportionately affected, uh, minorities, people of colour. Um, and, and, you know, and another issue, of course, is that the vaccine that you have may not provide protection against new variants, and we still need to protect through masks and socially distancing. Um, and, and then the final thought that I had, which I think is... Um, you know, so true for the United States, is that in a way, this isn't a problem of certificates, more about a, a question of trust in your healthcare system, which, you know, let's face it, in the last few years has been a real challenge in the United States. So my question for you is, how, how do you see the use of digital vaccination records to help society return, return to some sense of normality post the pandemic? There's a lot to unpack. Um, uh, perfect is the enemy of the good. This will be iterative. We will have more vaccinations available in short order in the country, and there will be different stepping stones till we get there. So um, whatever, you can start to iterate and pilot different things. We're a software company. So right, you're constantly iterating on the software to make it better based on user experience and what you learn and who the stakeholders are. And maybe regulations change on a federal level, maybe they change on a state level. But at its core, I think there's gonna be three different ways that generally will help us get back to that quote unquote normal. And it's gonna depend a lot of it on who the verifier is, meaning who the person is that's either at the airline waiting to show whatever, or like verify whatever you have, maybe your school district, maybe your employer. It's gonna have a different meaning for each one of those. Um, mm. But the three different things that we think will be included are, number one, you may just have to show a negative test result. They may accept an antigen result. They may accept a rapid PCR test. You may have to show rapid P or a PCR test in a couple of days. So that's number one. And we, by the way, on a weekly basis, since the pandemic began, or I should say in the last couple of months, hundreds of thousands of people already use Healthvana for exactly what you're describing. We have a mm -hmm. PDF they can print out or they have a screenshot on their phone. So we have a tremendous amount of experience in doing this. And I would say tens of millions of times Healthvana has already been shared to do what you're talking about with regards to a negative test result. And again, it's not a perfect solution, right? There's window periods, just like there is in sexual health. Uh, yeah. But uh, no, I was just going to say, but the point is we're learning as we, as we go. And in, a, and in a sense, 
there's there are elements of this that are not new. We have have we have had health records. I mean, I I know when I became a U.S. citizen, I had to show that I didn't have active TB, um, and and so that bit of it perhaps is not different. It's just the question of the uh, equity and access that becomes so uh, so accentuated here. Yeah, hopefully it won't remain that way. If there's enough vaccination where people want to get it, um, and then there's going to be a portion of the population that doesn't want to get it, or it's just they have a health issue and they're not going to get it. So I think you're going to see three different pieces. It's going to be one, either showing a negative test result. Uh, two, uh, it's going to be showing some sort of vaccination proof if you have it. And three, it's uh, maybe an antibody test showing that maybe you've already had the infection and or a vaccination. I think those are the three pieces that'll be important to be able to showcase as a part of your personal health record. And you were spot on. We don't love the term immunity nor immunity passport. Uh, we don't even love the term passport necessarily. But I think we get lost in the nuance sometimes as a company. We just view this as your personal health information. And by solving that first order problem of getting the right information to the patient, that's going to help a lot. Um, there's a lot of other really well-intentioned companies that are focusing on this problem, both globally, domestically, with airlines or with you know, um, uh, hotels. There's just a lot of different people working on it. Every one of those looks a little bit different, but most of them are focused on this broader framework of like, okay, this is the pieces that have to be in place. And they're hoping to suck in a bunch of information from a bunch of different immunization registries. We view that as somewhat problematic because we know some of the data is going to be wrong. I mean, when I type, when I write out mm -hmm. something, it's awful. I have chicken scratch. And to think that someone's going to capture that correctly, or if my three by five card has not all of the information on it, right? There's going to be a lot of data issues, we think, that have to match up with likely your government ID. But again, it'll depend on if you're, you know, if you're a, um, if you're a financier, you may not have to go back in your office. And if you do, they'll probably maybe trust you if it's a smaller group of 20 versus if you were at a uh, poultry plant um, where you're doing food processing, there may be a more yeah. rigid version of that. So it'll be all over the place um, and it'll be interesting to watch what happens, but we hope to be a part of the solution. Bringing you back to the the patient experience, how do you, how do you communicate bad news? So for example, someone gets a positive COVID test result or in the HIV field, someone gets, um, you know, they're on treatment and they get a high viral load test result that suggests the treatment has may not be working. Although Gus Cairns and others would remind me that you need more than one viral load to make a decision about that. But anyway, how do you communicate bad news? Uh, simply, so people can understand um, and then give them an actionable item. So. Uh, number one is just make it very clear, whatever it is you're asking. Don't show people a bunch of PDFs or make them navigate through a patient portal. Just say the thing. So with Healthvon, as soon as you log in, it'll say something like um, uh, you've tested positive for this, or maybe your prep levels um, are not to the level that can protect you, because you can also do biomarkers to see if someone's taking prep consistently uh, mm. through urine-based samples every three months. So you do that in a way, and then you say, um, if you have any questions, click on this button, and then a message will go to your provider. So there's different ways of doing it depending on how um, the system is set up with the healthcare providers we work with. But what we know is that patients just want honest information as soon as possible. It's not so much of what the result is, it's the fact that they don't know. <laughs> and no one's telling them. That's delaying information right. in a way that creates more anxiety. And there's plenty of studies showing that anxiety actually leads to worse outcomes. So tell them honestly, tell them quickly, and then give them the option of what to do next. Trust people. We think patients are the most underutilized resource in all of healthcare. Stop keeping this kind of um, permission. We're like, I need to have the permission to find out what my health information is. 
That's obscene. Tell me what it is. And to be clear with HIV, 99% um, of the results are coming by way of a rapid test now, the ones that we're doing, yeah. right? So, and um, you cannot legally disclose electronically someone's results for HIV, but hepatitis, sexually transmitted infections, COVID, um, you want to help normalize these things so they're not so stigmatized. So don't further stigmatize them by putting up these walls. And it, it also speaks to this old-fashioned way of thinking of uh, healthcare as something that is um, uh, purchased, that the, the ultimate customer is in fact the physician, the healthcare worker, rather than the uh, rather than the patient, and you, you've spoken, Ramin, very eloquently about how to uh, how to empower and engage patients as the ultimate consumer of of health. How have you thus worked with healthcare professionals, and so um, you know that they are becoming part of the solution rather than you know the person with the bow tie who you know owns and tells you what you're allowed to know. Uh, we have a lot of healthcare providers we work with, MDs we work with, MPHs. Um, we don't believe as technology, as a technology company, that we have all the answers. Just to be super clear, right? We're not trying to come in and be like, look, this is how it should happen. We know better. But we think different points of view are always helpful for new solutions, especially in industries that are absolutely stuck 20, 30 years behind everything else. Would you ever call your banking like, oh, this is digital banking? No, you wouldn't call it e-banking, would you? or banking 2.0, it's just banking and there's an online component. It's just shopping with an online component if you want. Healthcare hasn't quite gotten there yet where it's just your health and there's ways to expedite this. Now the difference is the incentives aren't necessarily aligned for healthcare providers to give information to the patient in a way that doesn't have them come back for another billable visit. Some of that's changed with COVID where you have insurance um, companies reimbursing for telehealth visits and beyond. But our whole thing has been to keep patients out of the four walls of an office if they don't have to go. Um, and I think a lot of the billing and reimbursement are catching up to that. But we're, we're also fortunate as a company. We don't have to worry about billing. We don't like revenue cycle management. We don't like large organizations that charge too much and put people into bankruptcy. We want to empower people at the thing that's most precious in their lives. That's their health. So make them a yeah. part of it. Don't make them jump over hurdles. And you know you're absolutely right that that the technology that we use for healthcare is bulky, hard to access, both for providers and for patients. So I, I sort of bring you back to the comment you made earlier that you think of Healthvana more as Instagram than Microsoft ninety five, and it it sort of does give me quite a chuckle hearing that. But um, but why Instagram? What is it about Instagram that? Um, uh, uh, sort of appeals to you? Or is it, is it simply that that's a, um, a, a point along the continuum of improving access to digital information? It's the juxtaposition of the two. Windows 95 came out in 1995. <laughs> We're in 2021 and everyone, it still resonates when I say that because like, yeah, it still has that look of like Windows 95. It hasn't changed at all. And why we like Instagram is because within a mere two, three seconds, you understand what the person's conveying by that picture in a short caption. And if you look at Healthvana's records and the way we share information to patients, it's the same thing. Your COVID results, you will understand exactly what it means within a few seconds. If you're getting results back for a sexually transmitted infection like chlamydia, we will not say CTNG non-reactive. What the hell does that mean? Mm -hmm. Just say the thing and make it in layman's terms in a way that helps patients understand if they're okay 
and if not, what they're supposed to do next. And we've had tremendous success in doing that kind of work. And we focused very much in one vertical of hoping to end HIV. And we work with groups like the Presidential Advisory Council on ending HIV AIDS, with big technology companies, with pharmaceutical companies, anyone who wants to come to the table as a stakeholder to help end HIV and now ending COVID. And our platform is usable for lots of other parts of healthcare, but we don't pretend that we can impact all of healthcare. If Google and Apple and these companies with billions of dollars can't necessarily make the dents they want to, why would we be arrogant enough to think we can? Let's focus on areas where we know we're already one of the biggest, if not the biggest in the country, and can make a genuine impact in people's lives, especially those that don't usually get access to healthcare in the mm. same way most people do. This isn't concierge stuff that you're paying more for. We're talking about impacting communities of color where medical mistrust is an absolutely massive part of everything, right? Where um, in the US, if you are a black man who has sex with other men, your odds of HIV are still about one in two. There's disparities that we've understood for a long time that we're trying to address, and we think the phone can help make those better by giving people similar access to a great experience that doesn't necessarily come. And my God, a lot of the people aren't even born in 95 that we're trying to get to this information. So we need to make it along the lines of something they're used to using. So uh, a, a bit about you, Ramin. You, you've... Um... I saw you describe health varna as speed is life, and you've spoken about the uh, rapid connections uh, of patients with uh, diagnostic information. Um, you nearly pursued a career as an athlete talking about speed is life. What was your journey into healthcare technology? Thank you for saying the athlete thing. I, I may have played basketball in college briefly, but I wasn't very good. They were nice enough to let me play. I just really enjoyed playing. Um, so uh, it would have been great to be paid as an athlete, but my goodness, all my friends would give me a lot of heat if I ever tried to say that. Um, with regards to speed as life, um, it's a difficult time we've gone through, uh, obviously. That's a stupid thing to say, but as a company, there are times where we have had a lab, because we're the last mile. So we're me the messenger sending the message to the patient, right? And if the lab is delayed, we have nothing to send. We send the information out almost instantly when we receive it for the lab to the patient. Uh, and on average, they view it in 15 minutes and 97% view it in the first couple of hours of the first day. That's incredible engagement. But if the lab's delayed, like we had one lab um, uh, back in probably the summer that was delayed by about 10 or 12 days, then we got 230,000 inquiries in those 12 days. I remember getting a phone call and um, I was on a pretty important call, but I got four calls in a row from a local number. And, I, and the first thing in my mind was like, my wife is in trouble or like on the side of a road, right? And using someone else's phone. Mm -hmm. So I pick up the phone and the lady said, and I said, hey, this is Raman just to, you know, initially start the conversation. And she said, uh, I just want you to know that my 95-year-old father is going to die and it's your fault. Oof. I said, ma'am, I understand what you're asking. Um, give me one moment. Let me get someone from our team on to see if we can expedite the labs that you're asking for. We've received hundreds of thousands of messages with that same tone, and we have incredible people that have helped on our team address these and respond to people as quickly as possible. You also have families and issues of people that live in multi-generational households that don't want to infect everyone else. And I remember this one woman who wrote in um, in broken English and said, hey, please, God help, please, God help with the subject line. And then it said, I live with my parents and my kids. I'm the only one who can work. And my boss said, if I don't come with a negative result tomorrow, I will be fired and we're gonna get kicked out of our apartment. And so Speed is Life came from that notion of every single minute matters of what we do. And however, as a company, we can help expedite that 
to make sure there's no barriers to a patient getting access to their information, we'll do whatever that is. And so um, we very much felt that as kind of our um, rallying cry to help people as fast as we can. It's in line with what we've always done, which is empower patients, but there's a whole different um, speed to it now. And so um, that's where it really came from and why we really rallied around it. And again, it's the incredible people on our team that you, know, you work 15 hour days to try to help people. Um, and it's what we do. So uh, we, we feel fortunate to work with such great partners like the municipalities, employers, labs that we do to kind of help them help their constituents. But hearing you talk, the passion for this came, for the, came from the experience of your father's illness. That clearly affected you very, very deeply. Why did you think, um, I want to get involved in this and, and, and you know, make the experience better for, for future families? I didn't actually want to get involved in it, to be clear. Uh, healthcare is not a sexy thing to get involved with. Um, and I, my first company out of college was um, uh, finance, and it was a technology company, right? It's, it's trying, about, trying to find solutions to problems that other people benefit from. So at its core, we're solving a problem for people. There's different ways to solve problems for people. It just so happens to be in healthcare, and it so happens to be in a place that just isn't being done very well. A lot of companies are doing it well, and I don't mean to just say that everyone's doing a crappy job. That's not true. They're bound by certain things they can and can't do with their EMRs or whatever else it is. But um, for me, it's not something I necessarily wanted to jump into immediately. Healthcare is not easy, and it's certainly not easy to go into something um, to try to change an existing system where the alignment is so off. Um, so, uh, you know, it was just, it's been a multi-year journey to figure out how we can actually end up helping people and being really intentional about where to jump into. And we've had a lot of starts and stops, to be clear. Yeah, no, sure. I thought, but that is true for all of us. I mean, it, it's interesting to me that, that you, like me, you, you don't have a, uh, an education in healthcare. Um, what did you study at university? Uh, entrepreneurship, business, communications, and to be honest, mostly just launching businesses in college, right? So yeah. uh, launching other businesses that I could do. And that's where I would learn best is through experiential learning. And so when we launched, before we launched into the sexual health HIV world, I went and got tested at tens, maybe 50 different testing locations to understand what the experience was like, where the real problems were. Um, and you can't really capture it unless you're in those rooms feeling the anxiety, right? Yeah. And the urgency. Same thing with COVID. We, I went to a number of drive-throughs that were open as soon as it started. I got tested a few times and I just sat there and watched to understand better. Because if you want to create a solution, don't just pretend from a distance to say it, right? Do your homework, understand, and not having, and that's my background is to kind of evaluate problems in that way. And I don't have a healthcare background. I've certainly tried to learn as much as I can, but there's, um, I think there's value sometimes in having a different background inside as long as you complement it with experts and look at the evidence and be thoughtful about the way you go about it. I completely agree. Um, and, and I think I share with you that sort of essential need to make healthcare more um, accessible and comprehensible. Um, I mean, I, I think we're in the middle, healthcare is in the middle of a revolution. Do you, do you think that that, both the revolution and the healthcare establishment, if you like, needs outsiders like you and me to, to make sense um, and drive this realignment? Of course. I think every industry needs outsiders with a new set of eyes, right? A fresh perspective on a different way of doing things. 
Um, sometimes those will fail, sometimes they won't. I mean, Elon Musk is a great example of someone who for 15 years has been trying to build a rocket ship or a car, right? There's been a lot of iterations. He certainly didn't start in the car industry, but he got some experience. So I think it always helps to bring different perspectives and from different communities, different disciplines to look at problems. But when it's so clear within healthcare, it's just, it really is just about one thing for you and your loved ones. It's you're waiting for those results and 80% of your healthcare decisions are made based off of your labs, right? So why mm -hmm. not use that as the hook at the point to really engage someone in their health to tell them what's going on? Because if I, let's say you and I don't talk for a year and then I say, Ben, it's time to see you. I'd love to see you let's hang out and I want something from you. Maybe that's an annual visit. You're not gonna really pay attention. But if I'm communicating with you every month and it's, and it's helpful and when you actually have a question about something, I respond. Or if there's something you're anxious about, you reach out to me like, hey, Raman, I really wanna know about this thing. And I respond right away in a thoughtful way that totally helps exactly what you're trying to figure out. That's what we're doing as a company. We're helping build a relationship. We're the pipes. We're facilitating that relationship between a healthcare provider and a patient in a way that doesn't feel terrible, that doesn't feel like healthcare. It just feels like Instagram, things you're used to using on a daily basis. So what's next? What, what uh, technology or innovation is exciting you? Uh, in healthcare, rel uh, there's a lot of different things happening. I think, I don't know if I'd use the word revolution. I would have used that maybe five or six years ago, just because I really mm -hmm. thought it was coming and I've watched multiple administrations come and go. And um, they all say really good things and I think they're all well-intentioned. It's really hard to move the system that's, you know, incentives are not aligned always with patient health and aligned around billing. <laughs> so that's infuriating. One of the coolest things um, that I think is coming down the pike for healthcare that's a few years out is this concept of digital therapeutics. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but the idea is, and these are FDA approved now, by the way, mm -hmm. um, you can either be a software tool that can help address something like um, maybe PTSD or some behavioral yeah. issues, right? With some sort of um, cognitive behavioral therapy without the use of a drug. So you would have to go through the FDA, you would show better outcomes and you could be a digital therapeutic that could be prescribed. There's also a companion digital therapeutic, which is what Healthrona right. could be with PrEP. So you have the drug plus the software could lead to better outcomes. And that's pretty exciting in a world where we don't necessarily have to always take a pill that could have side effects. Uh, and you know, digital therapeutics could also have side effects. But the idea that that's coming is gonna be, I think an interesting component that we're not really there for yet. And you combine that with wearables and some other stuff. But as soon as I get really ahead of myself, we kind of come back to the basic thing, which is just people can't even access their own information. And if they knew that information and they could act on it, it would be better, right? Yeah. And so we're, we start and we always go back to that very first step of how do we get information to the patient in a way that they can take, that they understand how their health is, what's going on and then what to do next. And to ask that question, not only of uh, industrialized world nations, but of the whole planet. Because the one thing we've learned from COVID is that if we all don't get the vaccine, none of us are safe. Um, how do you think of technology uh, being able to uh, improve? I mean, some say it, it really could help leapfrog um, emerging market, lower and middle income countries in terms of their quality of, of healthcare. It's going to have a profound impact. It'll continue to have a profound impact. Um, we see different studies and things being done with technology where I think um, Africa is always one that people studied a lot, especially in the field of HIV. 
people are using smartphones more than they were using in the US. Mm. You know, South Korea was using smartphones well before the US. And you would see a lot of the trends that started outside of the US then come to the US. Um, so, you know, WeChat's an interesting thing where everything is in WeChat. Uh, of course, different in a different country. Um, but you're starting to see that kind of start to play out um, where the more engaged you are with a particular company, maybe that also starts to help you provide information about your healthcare. So um, outside of Healthvana, how, how have you stayed sane during this crazy shelter-in-place period? Um, any tips for our audience, you know, shows to binge watch or books to read? Uh, too many shows that I can think of, but um, book-wise, uh, let's see here. I'm a big Lakers fan. There's lots of books on Lakers. So I read stuff that has nothing to do with work if possible, that just takes my mind off of things. Um, if there are entrepreneurs out there, the one book that really helped me um, launch this business a long time ago, or at least have the courage to do so, was a book called Tribes by uh, Seth Godin. I don't like all of his books, um, but this book really spoke to me as an entrepreneur. Uh, and I think the one part of it that really resonated was um, it said, you know, compare your solution to the status quo. Sometimes it's hard to describe what we do in a way that's different. Um, when the Mac came out versus Windows 90, uh, versus the, you know, PCs, everyone's like, well, what's the difference? A Mac is the same. They both do word processing. They both surf the uh, World Wide Web, right? They do uh, all these similar things, but they're just, they're just different, right? It's a lot different to think about how that kind of comes about. And Tribes encouraged me um, to actually, gave me the courage to actually launch this business that has been a long journey and a difficult one but things that you know we care deeply about and that's helping people yeah. make better decisions well ramin thank you so much for joining us and i hope you'll keep us posted on healthvana's progress um this has been a really uh, inspiring and um really made you think this conversation you, know, you are a shot in the arm <laughs> thank you for having me and for those kind words well, that's it for this episode. Thanks to Ramin and thanks also to NewsDoc Media's Eric Espera, our producer and director. Thanks to Sarah Anderson from the Bay Area Global Health Alliance and to Sean Howell, our executive producer. And thanks to Brian Ragas, our program manager. Finally, thanks to you. If you have any questions or comments about this or indeed any of our shows, don't hesitate to contact us through Facebook and Twitter at Shot Arm Podcast. We'd love it if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts and give us five stars. It helps us get the word out. Have a great week and a safe week.